Just when you thought the Cuyahoga County Council couldn't be more incompetent, they take another step that boggles the mind. It's a story we'll be talking about on Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with Lisa Garvin, Layla Atassi, and Laura Johnston. we got a lot to talk about. Let's dive in. Why are Ohio lawmakers seeking to stop cities from regulating Airbnbs and the like? Aren't they aware of the problems some of these places have caused for cities and police? Laura, they're not banning all regulations, but they are trying to handcuff the cities yet again. Right, exactly. I mean, do you think state lawmakers care about what cities think? Because I have not seen a whole lot of proof in that in the 15 years that I've been back in Ohio paying attention. Um, This is House Bill 563. It would preempt cities, villages, and townships from banning short-term rentals outright. It also restricts them from limiting their number or regulating how long or frequently they can be rented out. They could still regulate under fire codes, health codes, noise ordinances, and other reasons, but they would have to apply to all the houses and and long-term rentals, not just short-term rentals. And State Representative Sarah Fowler-Arthur from Ashtabula, she's a Republican, she proposed this bill, and she does rent out her home in Geneva on the lake through Airbnb. So you can raise your conflict of interest flag if you want. She says that her bill is mostly aimed at preventing local governments from banning the rentals outright. But how is that not a conflict of interest? She makes money by renting out her place, and now she's changing the law to make it easier for her to rent out her place. That's like the definition of conflict. Does conflict of interest law no longer apply in Ohio? I mean, if the Supreme Court Justice Pat DeWine ignores it, does everybody just ignore it? I mean, probably. The thing is, is she's not voting. Well, you could you could argue that she would be introducing and voting on something that directly affects yeah. her because obviously you can't vote on a contract to your own company and Airbnb isn't her company, but she is making money on it. I mean, Airbnb obviously uh, is in support of this law and Verbo, I should say. Those are also groups that would be for it. But uh, um, I guess they make about... I have this down. $160 million nationally that people make from this in 2021. $19 million from first-time hosts, too. We don't have state numbers, but that's a lot of money. What is the reason, though? I mean, the cities are the ones that understand when these things become a problem. They become a problem every now and then, and the cities try and regulate it. What is she trying to do? What, what is the goal here? I haven't seen any rationale from her other than she doesn't think they should ban it. And but this, the state has always said, oh, we need uniformity. We need to be open for business. We need we don't want people to be confused from municipality to municipality about what they can do. That's always been their home rule against home rule arguments. And they've done this over and over again, you know, with gun laws, with remember the plastic bag fight, they banned the bans. Yeah, this but this is the definition of a local problem. If if a city is detecting that they're having issues because of the transient nature of homes, they, they try to deal with it. And I, I just don't understand any rationale for stopping it, except that she wants to make more money running out property. Yeah, which... and I don't know if Geneva on the Lake has moved toward banning this, if she's just like, well, I'm just going to go around my local city council by doing this. Yeah, just it's another one where it seems like there are people getting into the pockets of the legislature again. It's probably campaign donations. This is just another bad example of state governance. Unless somebody can articulate a reason. I, I mean, I just I don't see a reason to not let the cities deal with this kind very local issue. Uh, yeah, maybe, and the, 
the Cuyahoga County Mayors and Managers Association is definitely against it. All of the actual municipal leagues are. And Pepper Pike Mayor Richard Bain, he's the head of it. He's calling this a direct attack on home rule. And he had really specific examples about why you'd want to let, you know, um, restricted and he said yeah. that an nb right there was like a someone rented a house in pepper pike on the nba all-star weekend 300 people each night for several nights there were complaints in seven hills they had more than 250 people in a house on new year's eve as a guy advertised the party online and charged people five dollars to enter after paying five or forty dollars for the room so <laughs> yeah i don't know how you can say that that should be allowed nobody wants that that's at all yeah there's something very fishy about this we ought to look into her background some more something stinks this is this is local control i got our radar up you're listening to today in ohio would it be appropriate to use the word cowardly to describe the cuyahoga county council's strategy for dealing with the controversial nomination of dave wandalowski to the Port Authority. Layla, this one boggles the mind. <laughs> I just can't believe this turn of events. It it seemed for a brief moment that the county council was going to stand up to County Executive Armin Budish's judgment here and vote down his nomination of, of labor leader Dave Wondolowski to the Port Authority Board. And, and they would have really had great reasons to do it, right? I mean, A, this guy is is really disliked by a whole lot of organizations for the way he behaved during the mayoral campaign season and for his treatment of, of Mayor Justin Bibb when, when he was at that point a candidate. Those organizations all have now submitted two joint letters asking that Wondolowski's nomination be withdrawn. And then B, Council was pretty sure that Budish had lied to them about whether Wondolowski could hold two conflicting board appointments at once. He's also serving on the Board of Elections, and apparently that's against the bylaws of the Port Board. So the whole thing seemed to leave a bad taste in county council's mouths, and they even momentarily pulled his name from the agenda from for an earlier meeting. So council could have, nay, should have, said no to this. But Caitlin Durbin saw his name pop back up on the agenda for a Tuesday committee meeting. So she got to work yesterday preparing a story, letting readers know what to expect out of that. And then near the end of the day yesterday, she notices that the agenda has changed and his name vanished again. For a second, she was thinking, maybe council is having cold feet. Maybe they decided to kick this can down the road a little longer. So she calls them to find out more. And she learns that actually... Council has decided to let the 60-day window on Wondolowski's nomination lapse. After that 60-day window, his nomination is automatically confirmed. So pretty much the most passive, cowardly way of avoiding having to handle this matter at all. You know, I just don't think this county council is talking to residents because I hear from people a lot. And, you know, we've talked about the $46 million they want to waste on the medical mart but th- this is astounding i mean this is such a cowardly way out and why does the charter make it automatic that they get in it ought to be if they don't act on it it's an automatic rejection it ought, you know there ought to be a positive action needed whose decision is this was this a vo- did they vote in secret to not I do it did who knows i have I no mean, idea if I were on county council and I didn't know about this and, and, and found out about it through Caitlin Starr, I'd be furious because you look like you have no spine. I mean, you don't have a spine. How do you not deal with it and put a vote out there? This gives them, I guess, plausible deniability. Well, we didn't approve them. But 
that that's just not what you're elected to do. You know, we, we have a story coming on the MedMart and how much it's cost over the years because they want to spend all that money on it again and people are against it. And I was thinking after we run that story, you know, putting something together online and in print saying, look, you keep complaining to us about this. Complain to these guys. These are your council people. You know, here's their email. Here's their phone number. Tell them what you think instead of telling us, because I don't think these council people ever talk to residents. Right. Right. I wonder, and, like, does this 60 day coward clause apply to other things? <laughs> like, could they just like, you know, after 60 days, maybe the MedMart won't need to be voted upon. That will just <laughs> all those millions it, it, will just be spent. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, what is the point? We, the, the, the government reform is an abject failure if the council that was created by it is too scared to take action. They're, they're paralyzed, literally paralyzed. This is one of the most cowardly acts of a government body that we've seen. Right. I'd love to know who made the decision. You know, there's three Republicans on this body. Why aren't they howling about this, saying this shouldn't stand? We should have a vote. I, I, I just don't. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. You know, interestingly, I just wanted to discuss this a little bit because Caitlin picked up on the fact that county executive candidate Chris Ronane, who received who received the endorsement from Wondolowski's union, the Cleveland Building and Construction Trades Council, seems to simultaneously want to have little to do with Wondolowski himself, and the union included his name on the candidate card that members could print off and take to the polls with them on May 3rd, but Ronay never publicly acknowledged the endorsement until just this past weekend when the union union's name was very quietly added to his endorsement page. And and allegedly, Ronane had asked Wondolowski to, to bury a photo of the two of them posing together at a campaign fundraiser. So, you know, his opponent, Lee Weingart, is making a big deal about this and saying, like, you can't have it both ways. You know, you can't you can't hold Wondolowski at an arm's length while being cozy with the union and, and making why, a big wait, deal. Why not? I mean, why, I mean, Chris has a long history with with the union at, in university circles. So why can't he embrace the union while rejecting its leader? Because the leader was tied to what some people believe was a racist campaign against Justin so. Bibb. I'm not sure I see the you can't have it two ways argument. What I was surprised at was Lee Weingart kind of embracing Wondolowski. I mean, he's trying to make his campaign in part that Chris's University Circle Police Department profiled black people. And then the numbers bear that out. Well, you know, at the same time, you're going to accuse Chris of running a department that profiled, but you're going to embrace Wondolowski. Very, very strange. Yeah, Weingart made some comments at the end of the story where it's sort of kind of icky things like, well, Wondolowski, you know, what he said weren't, wasn't, the, wasn't the worst thing that you could say about, you know, it yeah. just, I don't know, it was kind of gross. <laughs> So, well, yeah. it's a turn in the campaign. It seems like the campaign's going to be one of personal attacks instead of issues. And I was kind of counting on this campaign to be a fun one based on the issues. We'll have to see where it goes. It's today in Ohio. Lisa, you watched your gas meter dropping down while you're stuck in traffic yesterday. How much money did it cost you? Has Ohio hit a new record for the price of gas? Wow, wow, wow. I mean, I went downtown yesterday to eat at my favorite noodle place, and I was, I was driving down Superior, 
before seeing this story, I saw gas in Glen Glenville for four forty nine a gallon. Further down in Asia Town, I saw four thirty nine a gallon, and that's just driving down Superior. But the Ohio average hit its highest on record last week. That was or earlier this week, four twenty nine a gallon. Greater Cleveland area, the seven county Greater Cleveland area was four thirty one. That hit that with the peak in Geauga County. The highest prices for gas in the greater Cleveland area are typically in Geauga and Summit counties and the lowest in Lorraine and Portage. Um, But, you know, in the meantime, oil companies are rolling in the dough. The first quarter uh, profits in 2022 for Chevron was $6.3 billion. That's four times more than it was last year. Shell made $9 billion in the first quarter of this year. That's the highest since 2008. And as I sat on I-90 because it was closed due to a pedestrian fatality, I watched my gas gauge tick down and thought, oh, well, there goes a few dollars or four dollars or whatever. Yeah, the oil companies are being sleazy here. They're keeping their prices up, blaming the war in Ukraine and other factors, but their profits prove that they're just skinning people when they could have more basic prices. It's an ugly, ugly situation. They're catching a lot of criticism for it. It's today in Ohio. Let's stick with that gasoline cost. Is the high price of gas stopping people from flying for vacations this year? Have fuel prices made airfares prohibitively high? Lisa, continue the thread. Airfares are high, but not prohibitively, apparently, because demand is way up and people are not blinking at all at high prices for airfare tickets. Um, We've had huge increases, especially from Cleveland to the West Coast. Going to L.A., airfares for round-trip tickets are up 99%. San Francisco, 159%. Seattle, up 104%. And then East Coast ones as well, Orlando and Vegas, are also seeing big increases in airfares. 84% up in Orlando, 63% in in Las Vegas. Popular destinations went up the most. They went up the least. And we talked about this last week in the podcast, how tourism is good in Ohio, but not great in the big cities. That seems to be reflected nationwide. So they went up the least in places like New York City, D.C., Miami, and Tampa flying from Cleveland. So yeah, I mean, people, demand is great. You know, seats are short because seating capacity is down due to staffing shortages jet fuel prices are up but people are still flying well i wonder you you think about it a lot of people haven't gone on vacation since 2019 and this year is the breakout year everybody is kind of through with covid so it's just everybody trying to go somewhere fun yeah and and hopper economist haley berg has a lot of good advice she says there will be no last minute deals or sales this year so if you're gonna buy you need to book as soon as possible and that also goes for hotels and car rentals which are up at least 30 percent although the cars are a little bit more available this year than they were last year right yeah slightly yes but you're still going to want to book that car rental early especially during peak travel times yeah, Susan Glazer described going to the West Coast, what she's spending for car and airfare, and it is a lot different than it was a year ago. Check out her story on Cleveland.com. You're listening to Today in Ohio. This next one's for anybody that's been stuck at a four-way intersection while muscle cars do donuts blocking their path. In a move that has people in some parts of Cleveland clearly cheering. Police have seized a stolen car and six all-terrain vehicles in the city. Laura, what do we know? 
Well, the Highway Patrol is in charge of this. They found on Thursday a 2017 Dodge Charger, two firearms, 10 pounds of marijuana, and the all-terrain vehicles at a house on the city's west side. The Charger and the one of the ATVs had been reported stolen, and five had tampered identification numbers, which obviously is a problem. No one's been arrested and you have to wor- wonder if this is the first of many raids. Do you remember last summer when the Cuyahoga County Prosecutor's Office actually put out a warning about a wave of dirt bikes and ATV thefts? And they were saying they were from, like, Facebook meetups. And I think they said 83 of them had been lured to the city after listing their bikes for sale. And people would take them for rides and just not return them. So, obviously, this is a problem. And we, we've discussed many times on this podcast the issue about dirt bikes in Cleveland in general. Well, the Dodge Chargers are apparently the favorite for the donuts thing. I haven't seen this. I've been on the road when the dirt bike riders do their thing, but the but the donut thing in the intersection is different, where the muscle car leaps out in front of everybody and just does donuts in the middle of the intersection, blocking traffic. There's even a video out there of one doing it in front of a Cleveland police car, and the Cleveland police car isn't doing anything. Uh, so the Dodge Charger is not a surprise. Uh, the, the six ATVs apparently are all stolen. Right. So, I mean, I wonder if this will be happening more. Obviously, I think it's something we'll probably be talking about a lot. You know, it's a summertime thing. People out in the streets. Well, Ohio Highway Patrol's on their trail. It's today in Ohio. Cleveland adopted rules for making streets safer and greener over a decade ago. But when it became clear the law had no teeth, then Mayor Frank Jackson resisted strengthening it. There's a new mayor in town, so what is happening to make the streets safer pedestrians and children? And Layla, we've had a lot of pedestrians get hit and killed in recent years. Yeah, that's right. Steve Litt brings us this story. It seems that the city's old Complete and Green Streets Ordinance, which council approved back in 2011 during Frank Jackson's years, was, was really ineffective in achieving its overarching goal of giving pedestrians and cyclists and transit riders parity with with automobiles and street design instead of emphasizing maximum traffic flow. Uh, And according to City Councilman Kerry McCormick and and an advocacy organization for cyclists, weak language in, in Cleveland's 2011 law enabled it to be pretty much ignored. And even though McCormick introduced a tougher complete and green streets ordinance in 2020, he said Jackson resisted those changes and the legislation was never scheduled for council committee hearings. Jackson disputed that take, but regardless, the point is it's finally happening under this new mayor. Council is about to begin hearings on a new complete and green streets ordinance that McCormick introduced last month. And the piece was co-sponsored by Mayor Bibb as one of 85 items on his to-do list in these early days of his his time in office. And it calls for stronger efforts to install landscaping, to absorb storm runoff, and to equip more streets with safety features that could include low-stress, grade-separated bike lanes, sidewalk bump-outs at corners, and raised crosswalks or speed tables that would naturally slow traffic. The So, I mean, the bicycling community is far happier with this iteration And it sounds like if it's applied the way it should be, this will achieve those goals that were set out, you know, over a decade ago. Well, when they build the the bump outs, it really does slow down traffic. And 
we Steve Sturry had some stats about how many pedestrians have been killed in recent years. There was a child killed uh, jumping up from between some parked cars a couple right. of weeks ago by a, yeah. a 16 or 17 year old driver. But because the cars are going fast and these things do work, but they weren't really required. I mean, there are a lot more bike trails in Cleveland now than than there were before they passed their original law. But we haven't dealt with the traffic flow. Bike lanes don't do that. You really have to redesign. And that's what this is about. Is there any resistance to this? You know, I, I Steve's story. I don't think I, I don't think Steve's story contemplated that. It doesn't sound like there is. I mean, it sounds like it's it's uh, it's pretty well embraced. But but you're right that that you know after the ordinance uh, went into place in 2011, um, there was a big push to get the mayor's office of capital projects to to follow these guidelines more vigorously. But but you know it turned out that the only the only full, complete, and green treatment was this mile-long, $8.5 million reconstruction of Fleet Avenue in Slavic Village that was completed in 2016, which is really funny because whenever I think about completing green streets, that's the only thing that comes to mind. And I was really sort of surprised to see that in his story because I didn't know that that was the only street that they did fully as complete and green. I just know that every city tour I've ever taken with city officials, they've said, we do complete and green streets here. Look at Fleet Avenue, <laughs> you know, like, and that turns out that's the only example that they've had of it. So, um, so that was really eye opening to see that in Steve's story. But you know, this new this new plan, you know, this new plan also they were saying has uh, will uh, include these these other components like this this ten member transportation infrastructure advisory committee um, that um, you know would meet quarterly and and its goals would be to engage the public and council in street design issues earlier in the process. Um, and this, you know, those sorts of things would really go a long way toward reducing those traffic cause fatalities in a way that the earlier iteration of this program had not. So I think, um, I think there, it just sounds like it's a more serious treatment of, of complete and green um, infrastructure. Well, as usual, Steve Litt's story is fully reported and fascinating. Check it out on cleveland.com. It's Today in Ohio. Tree pollen in the springtime causes no end of misery for people with allergies. I'm one. So how much of the stuff is actually in the air? Lisa, this is one of the harebrained ideas you get when your eyes are burning like fire from pollen. We actually had a reporter go out and say, how much, if you condensed it all, how much space, how much volume would it take up? What's the answer? Well, pollen is extremely tiny. I mean, it it goes from 10 to 200 micrometers in size. You really can't see them. But if you gathered all of that pollen, it would take up one square yard. So, yeah. And so you have to think about how tiny these are. A lot of people think they can see pollen and you can't really see it in the air. You can usually only see it if it gathers on a car or other surface. But the Friday morning pollen count in Cleveland was extremely high at 80 grains per cubic meter. This was data from the Academy of Cleveland and Northern Ohio and reported by the Weather Channel. Tree pollen like mulberry, oak and ash is outgoing right now, but the grass pollen is incoming. So, yeah, pollen 
is going to keep bothering people. Uh, they they do say that uh, climate change is having an effect on pollen season. It's starting on average 20 days earlier than it did in 1990, and pollen loads are 21% higher than they were in 1990, according to a study done last year. So if your eyes are itching and your noses are running, then you've got allergies. I had no idea what the volume would be when I asked. It's It's kind of hard to believe that one cubic yard of stuff can cause misery so wide scale. It was uh, not what I expected, but it's good to hear that the tree pollen is finally going away. It's today in Ohio. The Northeast Ohio Regional Sewer Commission is required to monitor the health of rivers feeding into Lake Erie. Laura, what's the shocking way they do it? Oh, shocking. You're so punny. Uh, <laughs> 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 because it's electrofishing. Get it? Anyway, this is a special flat bottom boat that shoots an electric current into the water. It stuns nearby fish so they can be easily scooped from the stream. And researchers can check how many there are and what kinds. So I actually did this uh, three summers ago. It was the hottest I've ever been because you have to wear rubber waders and boots because of the current and gloves. Um, I'm never doing this again. <laughs> <laughs> but it is it is really cool way to inspect this biodiversity. They also check out aquatic bugs and crustaceans. And this is all allowing the sewer district to determine if it's meeting the expectations of the Ohio EPA for the discharge permits. And what that is is for stormwater runoff and making sure that um, that's clean enough. It seems cruel, though, doesn't it? That you're shocking <laughs> them into unconsciousness in the water? They Well, you're not killing them. I mean, I... You, if you hooked them, I guess, you know, you could be hurting them too. And actually, this is probably a whole lot faster because you're just collecting everything in there. If you're fishing, you have no idea what's down there and what's getting caught. This one, you can actually basically know that everything you get is everything in the water. Um, so they did a demonstration for P. Krause. They What they caught ranged from large carp to minnows, steelhead trout, northern pike, and a pregnant goldfish the size of a small dinner plate. We have a picture of this online. And I was like, oh my goodness, you know somebody flushed that down the toilet. <laughs> I hope they you didn't can't. return it. Yeah. <laughs> you can't electrofish as a fisher person. No, right? no, 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 no. First of all, it's I would think it's been super dangerous if you're not following all the proper precautions, but no, you cannot do that. So it's only only them, and it's only because it's for science. Right. It's today in Ohio. Ohio legalized fireworks starting this year, but is this turning into another urban-rural divide in the state? What's the latest city to announce it will institute its own ban? It seems like every community in our region is banning fireworks, even though they're legal. So, yeah, <laughs> starting July 1st, the state law takes effect allowing Ohioans to shoot off their own firework displays on certain holidays, including uh, Independence Day, Diwali, and New Year's Eve, o over Memorial and Labor Day weekends, and then on New Year's Day, Juneteenth, Cinco de Mayo, and Lunar New Year. And the law also allows local governments to opt out of the law or designate when residents can shoot them off. So the city of Cleveland is like hard pass. <laughs> Cleveland already bans DIY fireworks unless a person has obtained a state exhibitor's license and a permit from the Cleveland Fire Department. Um, and and violating that class of, is classified as a first-degree misdemeanor. But they're using this opt-out 
as an opportunity to actually double down on their ban. So the legislation that's been introduced to city council would strengthen Cleveland's existing ban. And this measure would also, so it's going to add two new provisions to the city law if it's passed, a prohibition on storing fireworks in homes or within 100 feet of a home, and a ban on pop-up firework vendors, which would prohibit people from selling them on streets, public property, and in properties designated as civic, social, religious, or recreational gathering spaces, or those designated for educational or daycare purposes. Man, if you're selling fireworks out of a daycare, <laughs> we've got problems. But uh, violations of those provisions would also be a first-degree misdemeanor, carrying a potential fine of 1000 bucks or 180 days in jail. Um, but several other municipalities are opting out. Um, so, you know, it includes Lakewood, Shaker Heights, University Heights, Dayton. I'm sure that list uh, would probably grow. But... Uh, it's it's one to opt out. We don't really need everybody to be blasting off their own fireworks with impunity. <laughs> there are a lot of complaints on places like Next Door by people about fireworks. They really, the dogs get upset. They really don't want them to be allowed. The problem is people are going to do it anyway. It's, you know, it's like prohibition with alcohol. People still drank. People shoot off fireworks. I wonder how many people actually have been cited in the past few years in Cleveland for it, because it's very hard to police. Well, go cite them. That's, uh, okay. <laughs> go cite them. I mean, I think if, if you let it be legal, then everyone's just going to blast them off. I think that's the thing. I, I don't want any more of this. I got a baby who goes to bed <laughs> at eight o'clock. You know, a lot of people don't want this. So Yeah, you're you know, right. If if they legalized it, there'd be a lot more of it. There'd be a lot I, more because but, most people do generally abide by this. They're not gonna they're not gonna just flout the flout the rules about it. Most people abide oh. by the rules. So if you let it, but if you let it happen, everyone's gonna be like, "Hey, sweet, it's legal. Let's just go blast them up," you know. And so just. There's you know. lots of fireworks going off around here on July Fourth, Lisa. I bet you hear the same thing. Oh, absolutely. And we don't even have to wait till July 4th. It usually starts a few days early. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think the prohibitions do much to, to stop it. And people get very upset. It's today in Ohio. That's it for a Tuesday. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Laura. Thank you for listening to this podcast.